0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, June 18th. I'm Rachel Del Judas.
1: And I'm Doug Blair. On today's episode, we hear from Tim Murtaugh, the former communications director for President Trump's 2020 reelection campaign. He talks to me about media malfeasance when reporting on President Trump, why mainstream outlets run cover for the radical left, and what conservatives can do to make sure they can find honest and high-quality news.
0: Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. The Supreme Court ruled Thursday 9 to 0 that the city of Philadelphia violated the Constitution by choosing not to work with Catholic Social Services due to the institution's religious beliefs. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of protecting religious liberty in the unanimous decision of Fulton v. City of Philadelphia, which said that Philadelphia violated the Constitution by narrowing its work with Catholic Social Services over its religious beliefs. In a statement, Heritage Foundation President Casey James said of the decision, Catholic Social Services has demonstrated for more than a century that religious beliefs inspire and motivate service to vulnerable children and foster parents. Philadelphia contracts with dozens of foster care agencies and no one complained about being rejected by this agency. The city singled out Catholic social services to purge any organization that held a traditional view of marriage. The Supreme Court's unanimous ruling today says that this hostility violated First Amendment freedoms. James added, The Supreme Court's decision today exposed and rejected another instance of government hostility toward religious freedom. Unanimity is rare in our discourse these days, but the court ruled 9-0 that Philadelphia's actions were unconstitutional. This decision, however, was necessary only because the court in Employment Division v. Smith had previously and improperly narrowed the First Amendment's protection of the fundamental right to exercise religion. The court should correct that error as soon as possible.
1: In another Thursday decision, the Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to, to uphold the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. The court ruled against 18 states acting as the plaintiffs, claiming that the states lack standing to bring their case forward. The court's decision represents the third major challenge to Obamacare to fail at the Supreme Court since the law was first signed back in 2010. The most recent case began in 2018, after attorneys general from 18 red states challenged Obamacare on the legality of the individual mandate. The mandate required all Americans to have some form of health insurance or to pay a penalty. When former President Trump signed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, the fine was reduced to zero, effectively eliminating it. This decision, the states argued, made the larger Obamacare program unconstitutional. The court declined to address that issue, as Justice Stephen Breyer, in his opinion for the majority, wrote, We do not reach these questions of the act's validity, however, for Texas and the other plaintiffs in this suit lack the standing necessary to raise them. Justices Samuel Alito and Neil Gorsuch were the only two justices to dissent.
0: The federal government will be observing Juneteenth on Friday, which celebrates slaves in Texas finding out about the end of slavery in 1865. On Thursday, the Office of Personnel Management tweeted, Today, POTUS will sign the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act, establishing June 19th as a federal holiday. As the 19th falls on a Saturday, most federal employees will observe the holiday tomorrow, June 18th. The Juneteenth National Independence Day Act passed the House on Wednesday 4.15 to 14 and passed unanimously in the Senate on Tuesday.
1: Now stay tuned for my interview with former communications director for President Trump's 2020 re-election campaign, Tim Murtaugh. The Heritage Foundation has a new website to combat critical race theory. CRT, as it's known, makes race the centerpiece of all aspects of American life. It categorizes individuals into groups of oppressors and victims. The idea is infiltrating everything from our politics and education to the workplace and even our military. Heritage has pulled together the resources that you need to identify CRT in your community and the ways to fight it. We also have a legislation tracker so you can see what's happening in your state. Visit heritage.org CRT to learn more. My guest today is Tim Murtaugh, who served as Director of Communications for President Donald Trump's re-election campaign, and who currently works as a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, as well as a Daily Signal contributor. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you very much, Doug. Good to be with you again. Tim, thanks so much for being here. I'd like to start out with the recent inspector general report that basically destroyed the Trump Lafayette Park narrative. The initial reporting of the incident basically portrayed the president as forcing protesters out of the park to get a photo op in front of the church. Uh, Could you give our audience a short breakdown of what actually happened and why you think the media was so quick to push the initial anti-Trump narrative?
2: Well, what actually happened, which we now know definitively from the U.S. Park Police, is that they already had plans underway to clear the park, where, as you, as you recall, there had been a fire at St. John's Church the night before, and they were clearing the park of protesters uh, so that a contractor could put up an anti-scaling fence there in, the, in Lafayette Park. And so that plan was already underway hours before they learned uh, that uh, it was likely that President Trump would be walking through the park from the White House on his way to St. John's Church, where he was going to uh, you know, commemorate the, the fire and the vandalism that had occurred the night before and, and, and send the message that he, as president, was not going to tolerate lawlessness, particularly in the United States' capital city, but in any city in America where, uh, you remember, at that time there were riots running and cities burning all across the country. Now, uh, so that sequence of events happened. Uh, he, the, the, the park was cleared, the president walked through, uh, and he had his uh, moment over there at St. John's Church. Now, the media jumped to conclusions, and they all decided all at once uh, that, uh, that the park had been cleared because the president was walking through. We now know that's not what happened. The park was being cleared anyway. But because it involved President Donald J. Trump and because the entirety of the mainstream news media hated him, uh, they linked all that sequence of events together, and it took hold as a narrative that was completely unshakable. It was accepted as fact that the park had been cleared for the purpose of letting the president through. We now know that didn't happen, uh, and we even saw an NBC reporter have to admit publicly uh, the narrative we thought we knew was not the reality. Uh, And sadly, we've seen a lot of uh, well-believed media narratives, particularly as they pertain to President Trump, fall apart in recent days. And these are the perils of pack journalism. No single reporter wants to be the only one going out and saying, hey, maybe this isn't what everybody thinks it is. So everybody stays in the same pack. They all report it the same way. And what do you know, almost every single time you've got all of the media on one side, Donald Trump on the other side, and uh, very often those things fall apart.
1: Absolutely. And on that note, President Trump uh, actually made a statement recently that read, have you noticed that they are now admitting I was right about everything they lied about before the election? And he cited things like the coronavirus and the Chinese lab theory, uh, the border crisis, getting vaccine doses done in record time, all of these things that the media reported as either untrue or you know, exaggerated or something like a conspiracy theory that then they had to go back and say, well, you know, that's not the whole story. How do these mistakes, and I'm putting mistakes in quotes here, how do these mistakes in reporting keep happening? It seems like it's something we hear about every day.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the, just I mentioned that a minute ago, it's packed journalism, and, and no one wants to be the one who breaks away from the pack. Let's, let's take the lab leak theory, for example. For an entire year, if, if you said out loud that, hey, maybe it's possible that the coronavirus leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. I mean, it's pretty remarkably coincidental that there's a lab studying these things right there in the same city where the outbreak originated. huh? If you said, hey, maybe that's possible, you were... Just absolutely hounded into silence. You were called a fringe conspiracy theorist, a loon, and even a racist because it involved China. Uh, now, a year later, that Donald Trump is now no longer in the White House, none of the underlying facts have changed. nothing Nothing in the data has changed. What has changed is Donald Trump is not in the White House anymore, and so the news media is now free to consider competing ideas which they did not do before and again if you were a member of the of the mainstream white house press corps and you went out there and said wrote a story that said maybe this is possible you would have been treated like an outcast and no single reporter wants to be the one to do that. They all know what the the other their competitors are working on. If you watch the nightly news on any of the networks or if you watch CNN or MSNBC or read the the New York Times or the Washington Post, they all report the same stories in pretty much the same exact ways. No one wants to stray. And almost all of the time it was the entirety of the press corps ganged up against uh, Donald J Trump. Look just look at the the Russia bounties story which I think was on List of things that the president, former president, mentioned. Uh, this was uh, intelligence leaked to the New York Times that uh, Russia was paying bounty to the Taliban in exchange for killing American soldiers in Afghanistan. A really shocking story based on, of course, anonymous sources, allegedly from the American intelligence community. The Trump White House at the time said, listen, these threads of intelligence are not vetted, they're not confirmed, and they certainly don't rise to the level of something that we're going to brief the president about, because they are not, in fact, confirmed. Well, that didn't stop the entirety of the press corps from going nuts and demanding to know, why hasn't the president acted to protect our troops when the Russians are paying the Taliban to kill our American troops. Joe Biden's campaign uh, pounced on that and said that it was a complete dereliction of duty and it was one of our most sacred responsibilities to take care of our troops. So it became a gigantic campaign issue for a long time during the campaign. And now we have uh, members of the intelligence community in communication with the White House and the White House issuing a statement saying that they have low to moderate confidence that that story was ever true. And guess which White House that is? It wasn't the Trump White House. It was the Biden White House that confirmed. What the Trump White House had said all along that these things are not confirmed, but that didn't stop the national news media from running with it, handing Joe Biden a very shocking campaign issue, and it consumed a lot of oxygen there for about a month of the campaign.
1: Given that we have all of these incidents, like, again, we were talking about the Russian bounty story. What do you think is the most egregious example of media bias during the Biden presidency? Has anything sort of in particular stuck out to you as particularly egregious?
2: Um, I think allowing Joe Biden and not really uh, putting a, put, asking, as they say, you know, asking questions of power or speaking truth to power, to uh, for, to allow Joe Biden to get away with claiming credit for the vaccines that have brought the COVID outbreak and the pandemic under control here in this country. The guy has only been president for under five months. Uh, are we led to believe that he is the one who uh, stopped the pandemic? Of course not. What has stopped the pandemic and and cut the death rate and really dramatically decreased the number of cases, the fact that it is uh, no longer spreading as it once was, that even California has now opened up its economy again and and, uh, eliminated their restrictions, that is all due to the vaccine. Under President Trump and under Operation Warp Speed, multiple vaccines were brought to market and put into use uh, in record time. All of the news media, the New York Times, CNN, ABC, NBC, they all said it was impossible. And at the same time, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris during the campaign sought to sow doubt in the veracity of, of the vaccine, the effectiveness of the vaccine, actually saying, hey, if Donald Trump came out with a vaccine, I'd think twice before injecting it into my arm, trying to make people doubt whether the vaccine would work or not. And in fact, it all occurred because the president removed mountains and mountains of red tape and got these things to market faster. There's no way on earth that Joe Biden would have cleared away all of the government hurdles that allowed these vaccines to get through. And the fact that the national news media does not hold Joe Biden accountable and give Donald Trump credit for what is saving millions and millions and millions of American lives, and indeed lives around the world, because we're now sharing the vaccines with other countries around the world. The fact that the news media won't clearly state, hey, Joe Biden shouldn't be taking credit for this because he criticized it, he cast doubt on it, and there's no way that he would have done it had he been president at the time.
1: Absolutely, and it seems as if in, in the case of the mainstream media and sort of large scale media organizations, it's not just uh, media bias towards the Biden presidency or towards the left. It also seems like stories that make the left look bad or make you know people that they agree with look bad kind of get squished by these outlets. Um, the story about Hunter Biden using a racial slur in text with his lawyer uh, really didn't get that much coverage from sort of the mainstream outlets like New York Times, CNN, and MSNBC. Um, what does it mean for American discourse when the media really will only cover one side of an issue and they'll refuse to cover the other side?
2: Well, it means that there is no discourse, really. I mean, let's take the the case of these Hunter Biden texts in which he uses the N-word very, very casually and and cavalierly in talking to his lawyer, who, by the way, is white, and Hunter is still throwing that word around. Uh, Let's remember that the New York Times, which has not, to my knowledge, written a single word about these Hunter Biden texts, Not very long ago, they had a story on their front page about a high school cheerleader who used the same word. So somehow, a high school student somewhere in this country was front page news for the New York Times because she used the N-word. But Hunter Biden, the son of the president of the United States, is not. It's a complete and and total uh, abdication of what it is to have any kind of news judgment, where a high school student is front page material, but the son of the president is not. And that takes us back to Hunter Biden's laptop which the news media once again uh, was unanimous in its derision and saying this is not news. And in fact, it might be uh, a Russian disinformation. There's there's the old safeguard. You can go back to that if you want to, if you're the media. But what the what the uh, laptop and its contents now show is what we were saying on the campaign all along, that this is not an issue. I mean everybody always says, oh, well, Hunter Biden, he's not president. So what do we care about that? No, but his father is. And his father was the vice president at the time that a lot of these things were happening that we now know to be true uh, from the contents of Hunter's laptop. For example, Hunter set up and his father, the vice president of the United States, attended a dinner with some of Hunter's foreign business contacts. And this is at a time when Joe Biden was in charge of Ukraine policy on behalf of the United States. And there he is meeting with some of Hunter's foreign business associates. At the same time, Joe Biden has said repeatedly, I have no knowledge of any of the business dealings of my son. We have never discussed it. So what exactly did they talk about at dinner with his foreign business contacts and his son, Hunter. Did did Joe think that they were there because he's such a sparkling conversationalist? I don't don't think that could possibly be the case if you've ever seen him perform in public. And somehow, none of the news media thought that that was newsworthy, and they still don't today. Uh, Now, just imagine, I hate to play the what-if game, but imagine if it had been Donald Trump Jr., bringing people from a foreign country to dinner in Washington while his and having dinner with his father while his father was in office. What do you suppose the reaction would be from the mainstream press corps? There'd be an immediate talk of impeachment, immediate. But when it's Joe Biden and his son, no one cares.
1: It definitely seems like these media outlets are sort of creating a bubble and an echo chamber for people to kind of reflect and say, oh, well, you know, Everything's hunky-dory on my side of the aisle, but those bad guys on the other side of the aisle, ooh, you know, they're the bad guys. It's the problem here. So if we're aware that these media outlets are creating echo chambers for people, how do Americans even find the truth? Where do we go?
2: Well, you have to find other outlets and and other sources for that material. I mean, the Heritage Foundation, the Daily Signal, are are uh, two of the very best places that you can go because these are stories that are being written um, for the Daily Signal that are you're not going to find in the New York Times or the Washington Post. Uh, and and in fact, I think it in many cases it would be uh, considered better journalism because uh, the writers are actually willing. To consider other opinions or other explanations for things that, that are in current events. If you're at the New York Times, remember, we, an editor had to resign from the New York Times because he dared print an op-ed from a United States Senator, Tom Cotton. They printed an op-ed from a U.S. Senator and there was a newsroom revolt and the editor lost his job over it. That's absurd. That's absurd. For people who say that you know, their reason for living is the First Amendment and the free exchange of ideas, uh, they shut down uh, any thought that opposes theirs. I know that there's a great drive to uh, promote diversity in newsrooms. And what they mean by that, they mean uh, gender diversity and they mean racial diversity. And those are, are fine and admirable goals. But there is no diversity of thought in American newsrooms by and large. And so I, I think you have to find out places where you can find those diverging points of view. And uh, you know, I, I'm, not only, I'm not saying this just because I'm here on your podcast, but the Daily Signal is a great place to find those things. There are other conservative outlets where uh, you can find good reporting as well, but uh, the Daily Signal I think is chief among them.
1: Well, we do appreciate the uh, high praise for the Daily Signal here. In terms of creating that diversity of thought, I'm curious, do you think it's something as simple as saying, let's have the New York Times hire more conservatives or let's have CNN uh, bring on some Republican correspondents? Is that the solution here or is there a more in-depth, ingrained solution that we need to start pushing towards.
2: Well, I think that uh, that's fine to to say let's hire more conservatives whether it's the Washington Post or CNN or the New York Times or whoever but those voices have to be able to free to be free to be their own voices. I mean You know, if you're a conservative on CNN, you're only there because you're going to bash other conservatives. That's the only reason why they want you. If you're in the New York Times, I question how much freedom you would have to actually express your own opinions. Uh, Or if you're not on the opinion side, if you are a, a regular news reporter, uh, are you going to be free to pursue story ideas uh, that are contrary to what the clear liberals at the editor's desk believe? I don't know that to be the case. So getting people on the payroll and with bylines and with FaceTime on TV uh, would be great. Uh, the question is, are they going to be free uh, to be able to pursue stories and opinion pieces that, uh, that, the, that the editors would actually live through the gates? I don't know.
1: That's an excellent point and something to think about. Uh, We are running a little bit out of time, Tim. So I wanted to leave you uh, a little bit of time to kind of take our our listeners out. What would you like our listeners to take away from this interview if they took away one thing? And then as a follow-up to that, what can we as conservatives do to hold the media accountable?
2: Well, first I want to say, I'm, a lot of these reporters and, and these outlets, uh, reporters who work at these outlets, I, I know a great many of them, and in fact, if not most of them, um, and I, I like them individually. I think uh, I consider a lot of them friends. Uh, I think that many times they, they, they understand that they are stuck in packed journalism, that there is not the opportunity to go out and report things that everybody else is not reporting because it's just not acceptable. You can't get outside what the narrative is. It's frankly not permitted. So, you know, I would caution people against directing any particular venom at any individual reporters and understand that it is a system that uh, is really, I think, broken because it it is supposed to be journalism and it's not. It's not. Journalism should uh, should, uh, tolerate a free exchange of ideas and the current we have in place, uh, and the power structure that, it, that uh, is involved with uh, you know, so-called big journalism it does not permit that kind of stuff. And so what people can do is to turn away from those outlets, you know, from time to time, um, not, or at least not use them as their only source of, of information. And I suspect if people are listening to this podcast, they're already doing those things. Um, but check out other stories, check out other, other conservative websites, find out what different points of view are on the same subject matter. And I, and I think people will have a, a lot more well-rounded view of what is actually happening in
1: this country. Very great advice. That was Tim Murtaugh, former director of communications for the Trump re-election campaign, Heritage Foundation visiting fellow, and Daily Signal contributor. Thanks for your time, Tim.
0: Thank you, Doug. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal podcast.
1: You can find The Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe.
0: Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all on Monday.
1: The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members
2: of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.